0: On March 16th, in the early hours of the morning, a historic building burned down in old Montreal.
1: It's a big building, it's a 14 unit, three story was a stone building. So all the inside was charred uh, and completely destroyed. While the stone facade uh, and the turret was still standing.
0: Frédéric Xavier Duhamel was covering this for the Globe from Montreal when it first happened.
1: We didn't know the uh, extent of the tragedy right away because uh, it took a few days before authorities, firefighters and the police announced that uh, seven people were missing and they recovered seven bodies over the next uh, several days. Uh, nine person that uh, we were able to get out. Two of them are still in emergency in the big fire. Uh, we have uh, seven People who we think are inside, one of them we were able to take it out. At their arrival, there was already heavy fire involvement to the building. They rescued many people from windows and from other parts of the building. Nine people were transported to the hospital, of which two are still hospitalized. Our thoughts are with them. And,
0: I'd like to and Frédéric Xavier, who also goes by FX, has been following the story ever since. He's recently uncovered concerns surrounding the building's safety that go back more than a decade. And then on Monday, Inspector David Shane of the Montreal Police made an announcement. Following
1: several analysis results collected to date, the SBVM zarsen and explosives unit is able to confirm that the accidental cause has now been ruled out. We are now talking about a criminal investigation. Our investigators have identified an area where the fire started, and I can confirm that traces of accelerant were found which may help explain the speed at which the blaze spread, combined with the building's heritage structure.
0: Today, FX is on the show to tell us what we've learned about this deadly fire. I'm Cheryl Sutherland, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Frédéric Xavier, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Michelle.
0: This fire broke out back in March, and we're talking to you today because there are some recent developments, but I think it's worth catching people up with what happened. What stories did we hear from people trapped inside the building like, that were trying to get out?
1: Yeah, there was this uh, survivor who who was in the basement and she was able to go out through a window, but she's, she told us that she and her boyfriend did not hear any alarms when the mm-hmm. fire broke out. Um, There were reports of people who jumped from the second floor, uh, from windows, or who waited on the outside walls for for help from the firefighters.
0: Uh, That sounds so scary. Um, Yeah.
1: So on site, I spoke with uh, Louis-Philippe Lacroix, whose daughter, Charlie Lacroix, uh, she was 18. She died in fire. Mr. Lacroix knew then and there that his uh, daughter had perished because she and her friend had called uh, 911 uh, during the fire, pleading for them to come and save them because they were trapped in a windowless room. That's when we started uh, realizing that there were several things that uh, might have been problematic before the fire even started. Seven people died and nine people were injured. I think uh, six escaped uh, unhurt.
0: You mentioned there that seven people did die. Can you give me a sense of who they were? What did we learn about them?
1: Uh, yes, so there was a long-time resident, Camille Maheu, who was an artist, a photographer who lived there. Um, there was uh, Nathan Sears, who was 35. He was uh, an academic, a recent PhD graduate from the University of Toronto. There was Dania Safar a graphic designer from Toronto who was uh, visiting Montreal uh, with her friend, Sania Mashar Khan, who was also in her early 30s and passed mm-hmm. away. There was An Wu, uh, who was a neuroscientist uh, originally from China, who was working at the University of California, San Diego, and she mm-hmm. was in Montreal for a conference. She passed away. There was uh, Charlie Lacroix, who was 18, She was uh, staying in an Airbnb with friends. Uh, She was from Terrebonne. uh, It's a suburb north of Montreal. And there was also uh, Walid Belkala, uh, who was also 18, who was uh, also a student. And uh, I should mention that it is exceedingly rare for this many people to die in a fire Mm -hmm. in Canada and in Montreal. There was a report by the Journal de Montréal uh, that reported that you have to go back almost 50 years in 1975 to find a fire that caused more fatalities. Wow. And it's also exceedingly rare for young, able-bodied people to die in a fire. Uh, I've I've spent a lot of time reading through coroner's reports of deaths in, uh, in fires in, in Montreal. And most of the time, those are uh, older people who might have uh, difficulty moving around.
0: What does that tell us about the conditions of the building? The fact that, you know, you say it's exceedingly rare to have young, able-bodied people um, not being able to escape a fire. What does that say?
1: Well, multiple investigations are continuing right now. There will be a public investigation by the coroner's office. Mm -hmm. But we also found through our own investigations that there were many problems with the building and its uh, fire safety record. Um, I and others have reported that uh, the building was flagged multiple times throughout the years for fire safety infractions related to firewalls, to alarm systems, to evacuation routes.
0: Um, and I wonder, can you just describe what this building was like before it burned down? Give us a, a picture of of what we're talking about here.
1: It's a big uh, building. it's three story. It's fourteen residential units plus a commercial space made of stone walls. It's a historic building. It was built in eighteen ninety. It had this distinctive turret on the corner, and it's situated in the historic part of Montreal. It's right next to an anthropology and history museum, the Musée Pointe-à-Calière. It was uh, bought in 2009 by a man named Emilheim Ben Amor, and almost as soon as he uh, purchased the building, there started to be reports of various fire safety issues in the building.
0: What happened after 2009? This first complaint was filed.
1: So initially, the city brought charges against the owner, Mr. Ben Amor, okay. uh, in the municipal court. He had to pay uh, several fines that added to a little more than $700 hmm. for things related to non-compliant firewalls and uh, lack of, a plan, of an evacuation plan being displayed. But the city also dropped charges uh, relating to evacuation routes and alarm systems. So that was in 2013 that he was fined and that other charges were dropped. And there was no further court case uh, about any of the other issues afterwards concerning this
0: building. And then after 2013, uh, did anything get fixed or did the complaints continue?
1: So some of the things that were flagged uh, got fixed. We, there are records that... Uh, firewalls, for example, uh, were fixed in some parts, but other issues, there's no record that they were ever fixed. And that's the case for uh, evacuation routes that were not compliant. And also uh, for alarm system issues, this this has been a recurrent issue at the building. Mm -hmm. And some issues with the alarm systems were fixed, but other issues emerged as late as 2020. We have records saying that the uh, alarm systems were not up to code, and we don't have records of them ever being fixed. Hmm. Uh, And the same same goes for evacuation routes. Some of the issues that were flagged in 2009 were still issues as late as 2018, and uh, there's no record of them ever being fixed before the fatal fire Hmm. of March 16th.
0: If there were all these complaints, why did this building continue to operate as it did?
1: There's no clear answer to that, but Mm. what my reporting has shown is that the City of Montreal's Fire Department instituted in 2018 a moratorium Mm. on the enforcement of uh, issues related to evacuation routes and uh, alarm systems upgrades. Mm. And this is a citywide moratorium, but we have records that show that it affected this building in particular, Mm. uh, because the file relating to evacuation routes was closed in 2021 because of this moratorium.
0: Okay, so let's get into this. Back in May, you learned that this fire department had instituted this moratorium back in 2018. So what process specifically was being suspended here?
1: So the way it works, the the fire department has inspectors that go out into the field, they conduct thousands of inspections Per year, and then uh, for some specific issues, they fill what's called uh, request for expertise, okay. and then this goes to what's called a technical officer, who's mm-hmm. another official within the department, who will be able to better assess uh, whether the building is up to code or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's what uh, was suspended in 2018. Were those requests for expertise? regarding evacuation routes. And this is important because what it means is, according to uh, sources at the fire department who were familiar with uh, the process with inspections, what it means is this stopped enforcement against owners who were not uh, maintaining or upgrading their buildings mm. for them to be up to code, uh, like uh, Mr. Venama.
0: So to be clear, the city didn't actually stop inspecting buildings, they just stopped taking people to court.
1: Yes, the inspections continued, but the enforcement uh, stopped.
0: Why would they do that?
1: So after my reporting in May, the fire chief, uh, Richard Libman, called the press conference and he admitted to the existence of the moratoriums. And he said those were in place because the uh, the fire department was unable to win court cases. (laughs) He said those were complex cases. And the city was not able to win their case uh, with the proofs that they had in those cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mentioned that uh, their officials were uh, lacked training to enforce issues related to evacuation routes. In my reporting in May, I also found that uh, uh, the moratorium had been quietly lifted in the days following the fatal fire. Uh, an indirect reaction to it, according to my sources and internal memos. But uh, Mr. Lehman, the fire chief, said that the uh, fire department had been in the process of lifting the moratoriums in the months preceding, but that it was accelerated following the fire. Following my reporting, the Montreal Mayor, Valérie Plante, uh, was questioned by the opposition at City Hall. She said that she was not aware of this moratorium. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said she was shocked she asked the, uh, the city's comptroller general to uh, accompany the uh, fire department to look at the process that led to these moratoriums. And there should be uh, announcements related to the comptroller general's uh, examination of the fire department uh, and measures to be taken, if any.
0: We'll be right back. So, FX, you've been reporting on this since March and you've learned a lot about gaps in enforcement. But what did you learn about charges from 2013?
1: So, in May, I reported that uh, Mr. Benama had been fined a few hundred dollars because of non compliances in his building, and also that some other charges were dropped. Mm. Now, what I learned most recently is that the city of Montreal asked for those charges to be dropped. Hmm. And this is significant because after my reporting in May, when I uncovered the moratoriums, the fire chief, uh, Mr. Libman, said that those moratoriums were put in place because the city was not able to win court cases with the kind of uh, evidence that it gathered but in the case of Mr. Ben Amor in 2013, the city ne- did not even try to test its evidence hmm. uh, regarding the non-compliant evacuation routes and alarm systems.
0: So, FX, we know there's a criminal investigation underway, but do we know who was responsible for the state of the building before the fire?
1: So it, it's, a, it's a shared responsibility. Um, hmm. The owner of the building is responsible to keep it up to code. Uh, But the fire department is also responsible to enforce the code. And the RBQ, the Régie du bâtiment du Québec, Mm -hmm. uh, this is a provincial uh, organization that uh, drafts regulations and enforces them relating to uh, building codes in Quebec. And they also have uh, jurisdiction in in this regard. I should mention that there were inspections as soon as uh, 2009 showing a variety of issues, uh, of fire safety issues in the building. And one of the inspectors that conducted those early inspections, she filed a complaint with the IRBQ mm-hmm. um, in 2011 and uh, flagging long-standing issues, the uh, evacuation routes issues in the building.
0: Okay. So we've kind of laid out here that the responsibility is kind of uh, in a number of different places. We have um, the owner, we have um, the RBQ, which is um, the province, um, and also we have the fire department as kind of responsible for, for what's going on. Um, I want to talk about the owner, Emile Amor. He owns other buildings. Um, what do we know about those buildings?
1: He does. He has uh, something like 15 or 20 buildings in Montreal. Mm. Um, and... What we have learned in the documents provided by the fire department, by uh, inspection reports, including inspection reports uh, in other buildings, is that this is not the only building that had um, issues, uh, fire safety issues. Other buildings from past ins- inspections had problems with evacuation routes, problems with fire escapes. Um, I visited uh, some of the other buildings mm-hmm. uh, owned by Mr. Ben and, and I, saw, I saw some troubling signs. There was this, uh, this building where, where a renter f- showed me the, uh, the back door. He told me it had been uh, screwed shut with, with screws yeah. and the, the holes were still there. And it's, it, of course, it, it caused him great concern in, in, in the case of a fire.
0: Oh, my gosh. FX, I'm also wondering about the families of the victims. Like, what are they doing in response five months later?
1: So one victim's family, the family of Nathan Sears, the uh, young academic, uh, filed a uh, request for authorization of a class action lawsuit uh, early on uh, against Airbnb, against uh, the owner of the building, Mr. Ben Mm Amor, and against uh, Tariq Hassan, who was allegedly running illegal Airbnbs in that building. Their lawyer uh, told me that uh, she was also uh, very much considering adding the city of Montreal to the lawsuits mm-hmm. after our reporting. Uh, there's also uh, Louis Philippe Lacroix, uh, the, the father of uh, Charlie Lacroix, who uh, the 18 year old woman who died in the fire. His lawyer told me that he was uh, planning to file a lawsuit uh, against uh, the city of Montreal, uh, Mr. Ben Amor, uh, among others.
0: I'm wondering about institutionally what's happening then like is anything being done to look into how this all happened yes
1: yeah, so there will be a public coroner's uh, investigation uh, meaning uh, there will be public hearings probably recommendations uh, in the coroner's report when it is uh, done mm-hmm. uh, there are the families lawsuits uh, that are upcoming it will of course it will take months if not years to get any resolution out of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, our own reporting uh, has uh, triggered the City of Montreal's Controller General's uh, review of the fire department policies regarding the, the moratoriums.
0: Mm-hmm. FX, just to end here, I'm wondering what this will all mean for the future of building safety in Montreal, because Montreal is an old city. It's known for its historic architecture, very beautiful architecture. And that also means that there are a lot of old buildings there. I mean, how do people feel safe after what happened in March?
1: Answers are few at the moment. Um, you know, of course, I reported on this as a journalist for the Globe and Mail, but I'm also a resident of Montreal, and so you know, after my reporting in May, when I when I reported about the moratoriums that lasted for years, um, preventing enforcement against owners of buildings that were not up to code, the fire chief, uh, Mister Libman, he insisted on the fact that the fire department had never stopped uh, inspections. I'm not sure how that was supposed to be reassuring Mm -hmm. for Montrealers because we all knew that there had been multiple inspections at the old Montreal building that burned uh, in March. Mm -hmm. The issue was rather that there was no enforcement following those inspections. Mm -hmm. But there are multiple investigations continuing. There will be a public investigation by the coroner's office, which will probably end with recommendations. Uh, There will be the results of the review of the fire department's policies by the city's comptroller general. Uh, There are those lawsuits by the family. Uh, There is an investigation by the police. So hopefully Montrealers get more answers in the coming months and uh, families uh, of the victims get uh, some closure.
0: FX, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl.
0: That's it for today. I'm Cheryl Sutherland. Michal Stein helped produce this episode. Nagi Nia is our summer producer. Our producers are Madeleine White and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer. And Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.